Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always, and it's Monday, and we've got a lot to discuss on the podcast today, and that's because, Eric, uh, you and I were inside Otson Stadium with what was allowed of 1,500 or so Duck fans for the first time since the Oregon-Oregon State game in 2019, Duck fans got an opportunity to watch Oregon football play inside Autzen Stadium. And even if it was a scrimmage, a modified scrimmage, and we can't explain everything that happened in detail there, it's nonetheless very awesome to be on the show here on Monday and be able to talk football while we were inside Autzen Stadium with other fans watching football. Pretty cool. Nope. I mean, gosh, no kidding. It was, it was, you know, I mean, just like the small things, it was fun being there and seeing all the fans first reaction to the new scoreboard um, and the sound system. Um, I know I was sitting there and people around me were just couldn't stop looking at that, at that thing. And that was in, at part in, in during times where maybe the practice was a little slower, but just commenting on how huge it was and how clear the picture was and how clear the audio sounded from it. Um, I mean, those are the kind of small things that you take for granted that, that you realize, Hey, this is, I mean, that sound that, that, that scoreboard was up all of last season, but no fans were ever able to come and enjoy it. I mean, really, I mean, besides the players, you and myself and about a dozen or two other media members were the only people really able to enjoy that so far. Um, and I know it's not a game day environment, but just for them to see that was kind of cool. And, um, oh, it's huge. Like when, when <laughs> if you're a duck fan and you go to Oxen stadium on a regular basis, you are going to be blown away. I mean, was it just me or from our vantage point up in the press box, you kind of take for granted the size Mm -hmm. of it because sitting down in the stands uh, for this game or for this spring scrimmage on Saturday and looking up at the, at the scoreboard, I was taken aback a little bit about just how big and clear it was. I think depending on where you're seated, you may not want to look at the field again. You may, you may <laughs> like, like if you're, if you're like, I don't know, 40 to 50 rows up, you might just want to look at the scoreboard because it's, it's so clear and it's massive. I mean, it really, I mean, it really is something to behold. And I think it's going to be really fun for, for, for Oregon fans to get that full experience. It's going to be really fun to, to, to be able to just have whatever, you know, whenever we get full capacity and it's just odds and back to odds and, and it's just the roar. And we even got a little of that on Saturday, even though it was a much smaller number of people, but just the excitement of, you know, we'll, we'll get to some of the details, but the first play of the scrimmage is a long touchdown run. And to hear the crowd react to that was, was really fun to hear the crowd react to, you know, it's third and six in this simulated scenario and the offense picks up the first down and there's the cheers of, yes, here we go. We're moving the change. I mean, those small things stood out. And I think Joker and thief playing for kickoff. There you go. I mean, just, just these all these staples of uh, of what it was like to to kind of be at Autzen Stadium to, to feel that in, in April. I know we've got a spring game in a couple of weeks, and we should note. Um, I'll just say it right now because we'll we'll jump into other things. But there will be fans allowed at the spring game. Um, I think fifteen percent of the max capacity will be allowed. So um, that will provide some fans who were not able to make this most recent scrimmage an opportunity to to see this team in person, obviously a larger number of that. And for those that don't catch that, obviously it's a really good indication that we're, we're seeing fans admitted to a spring game, that there will be uh, some number of fans in the fall, some number of fans. No, I can't point to if that's going to be more than 15%. I'd imagine it would, 
I think the more people get vaccinated, the better the numbers look, you know, within the county, the, the better chance there is for, you know, 60 to 70 to who knows what percentage they get. Probably not full capacity, maybe. Um, but, you know, I think the exciting thing is, is now that we've gotten past the first small, small, small hurdle of 1,500 people for a spring scrimmage, you know, maybe five to 6,000 for the spring game. And, you know, that sets us up for, I think, in September against Fresno State to have at least a decent number of people in attendance, which is just exciting to think about. So we've got some details on the spring game um, that's been released. We'll get to the, to the scrimmage thoughts and impressions from that here in a second. Um, May 1st is a Saturday. That's when the spring game will be held. Limited number of fans. It's scheduled to begin at 2 p.m. No uh, information yet on TV broadcasts if you're unable to attend. Um, approximately 15% of the capacity of Austin Stadium will be open for fans. And because of strict limits of fans in attendance and to ensure proper physical distancing, the spring game will be a ticketed event. Information on how to claim tickets for the spring game will be released publicly this week and will be available to season ticket holders, Duck Athletic Fund members, students, and the general public. Um, they're also going to still do the food for Lane County food drive. Uh, and this will be done virtually like it was last year. Uh, and there's a link out there, uh, fundraise slash food for Lane County slash org slash scrimmage 2021 will get you to the link for the fundraising. Um, what does approximately 15% of capacity look like 8,100 people. Uh, so you're going to be right around that number. I would imagine it's probably going to be a little bit lower than that because they still have to account for the players. They still have to account for the coaches. They have to account for the media. They have to account for game day operations people. They have to account right. for the social team for the school and all of that. So it'll probably be a little bit lower than 8,100, um, but – Nonetheless, there will be a, a, a decent-sized chunk of Duck fans inside Austin Stadium and look for information on how to get into that game later this week as it is released by the U of O. Okay, uh, spring scrimmage. I keep calling it spring game in my head. That's obviously not what it was. Um, and this was – we kind of got the format from Crystal Ball uh, – a couple days leading up to it. And that was the first half of the practice was going to be just like any other practice. And it's, it's probably more informative for you and I to be at that part of practice um, because we get a feel for, you know, what guys are working on, what's important, where they land. And then, you know, the second half, and that's typically of what we go and watch. Right. Um, right. From an Eric and I's perspective, when we get into the normal year, um, and everyday practice, we typically go and watch what was the first half. It was drills, individual work. It was some team stuff. It was some back seven stuff. It was some front seven stuff, um, you know, situational type stuff. Uh, not a lot of game simulation. And then the second half, after they took a little bit of a break, was more of a, of a scrimmage. You know, there was an offense side. There was a defensive side. And, you know, that crystal ball would kind of dictate where the ball would start. Sometimes they'd kick it off. Other times they would just start, you know, in certain, in certain situations. Uh, and then, you know, it, it would typically, 
you know, be uh, what was it like sometime, sometimes the offense, you know, first team would get just like five reps and after five reps it'd come off and the second team would come in and start over. And sometimes it was like a true game scenario where they had to march down and until they were stopped or they scored, they were out on the field. Um, and I, I, I think the first play of the game, or I guess of the scrimmage, was what Eric talked about. C.J. Verdell ripping off about like a 70-yard touchdown run. Um, Cristobal talked a lot about the, you know, the offensive line and how they, they did a very good job up front on that play. Um, Ken Wilson, the inside linebackers coach, uh, he talked a little bit after the spring scrimmage was over about how, you know, the offense won that possession and the defense needed to, to be better, you know, filling the gaps, if you will. Um, but I, I thought that was probably like the perfect scenario for kicking off Oregon football with fans back in attendance, first play in a game situation. And Verdell looks midseason form going 70 yards for a touchdown. I think it was a really important reminder of how good he is. Yeah. And, and, and I will say like the offensive line and I would even like credit the receivers and tight ends did it made it pretty easy for him. He basically had to make like one guy in the secondary miss and then he just ran for a touchdown. Um, but like, I think, you know, and because of the injuries, it's, it's, it makes sense, but there, I think is a sense of like, we, you know, from an Oregon fan perspective, like let's move past the CJ Verdell, Travis Dye era. It's time for the future. The future is now. And I, I think there's has to be a reminder of like, this guy's a two time 1000 yard rusher. He is extremely dynamic. He has his faults. He's dealt with a ton of issues with staying healthy. But when he is healthy, he's really talented. And, and we saw that on that play. And, and and Coach Mastro, the running backs coach, said it after, which is, I think, it's just kind of the, the right way to sum it up. But Mastro still thinks Verdell is, is the best running back in the country. And, you know, whether or not you agree with that or not, he's closer to the best back in the country than he is somebody who is going to play a bit part in this offense. Um, and I was thinking about it this morning before we jumped on here of, like, it's really far ahead and you have to see Oregon have a bunch of success this season. But, like, if someone from Oregon's offense is going to be like Pac-12 offensive player of the year, it's going to be CJ Verdell. Like if there's going to be a player really? on this, on this team. Yeah. Like who, uh, you think Anthony Brown's going to be Pac-12? I mean, if it's going to be an Oregon player, it would be like sure. CJ, Ver like it's not going to be Anthony Brown. I don't think, I don't think it's going to be one of the receivers. Um, I mean, and more than likely, even if Oregon wins the conference, somebody from another school will win that honor unless Verdell runs for like 2000 yards or something. But like I was just thinking about that of today, like I, I'm not going to be stunned if he bounces back with with a really really impressive season, and he's the league's best running back, and he you know, and he's talked about really fondly nationally. Like I, I don't think he's going to be an a Heisman Trophy candidate or a, an All American probably, but like could he be a first team All Pac 12 player and kind of a dark horse conference player of the year? Probably probably that, that award goes to a quarterback like it does most years. But this last year, it went to a running back for Colorado. And, I mean, it's not inconceivable, I think, that someone like CJ could be in the yeah, discussion like, at I, least. I mean, I, I – and, and, and Mastro kind of touched on and was very honest about my reservations, and that's the injuries. Like, he, he's like, look, there's no I, – I can't argue against it. We have to keep him healthy. And – if we keep him healthy, he's, you know, one of the best backs in the country. And he felt like the best back in the conference. But my my worry is, can he stay healthy? Because he's never done it before um, through an entire season. Um, that being said, like, you're right. He does, he does have that talent to do it. And, you know, up front, 
you know, the offensive line looked, I, I thought, a lot better. And it's a one-game runoff, and we don't know, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau was not playing, so maybe how big of a factor was that? Um, Isaac Slade showed up halfway through the practice because he was attending his child's baseball game earlier in the day. Um, that's, you know, something to, to look at, though, if, you know, the offensive line looked really good um, in this scrimmage. And, you know, the offense entirely looked really good. Cristobal said that they were the ones that, that kind of won the, the day, if you will, if you want to pull that slogan out of the closet. Um, and th- that wasn't to say that the defense didn't make plays because Cristobal quickly said that there were, there were plenty of plays from the defense that were impressive. It was just, I think, from a consistency standpoint, the offense was ahead of the defense. And that's probably a positive sign, right? That because typically so. in spring oh, yeah. games, typically in early early fall camp, the defense is ahead of the offense, and yet the offense felt like they were the better unit. Well, I think not only is that a good sign because you're right; usually it does feel the opposite way. But like, especially with the way this team is constructed, I was expecting to come out of that being like, "Boy, that defense looked dominant." And the fact that you come out saying like, "Did the offense have a better day?" is like, I mean, you can look at it two different ways, right? You can look at it like, is, is that, that a, a bad thing for the, yeah, for the defense? Is that an indication the defense is like a step slow? And there were some, as Matt said, there were some guys who weren't available for that. Um, Mikhail Wright was also, I think, missed in and out of, you know, the practice um, with, with something. Um, and I think a couple guys on, you know, the secondary as well kind of were absent. Dante like, Manuel. Bridges was the first, was with one of the, spent most of the time with the first team defense. And yeah. And was really good. Like I, I don't think he played. Uh, he has played in eight games in his career and was like a special teams guy in 2020. Not to say he's a bad player and that he can't turn into a good guy. Because I mean, I was super high on him last year, but he was not in the rotation at corner last year during the 2020 season. He was running with the ones. So yeah, I mean, so maybe you can point to some guys who are absent. We'll we'll have a better idea on on some of this in about 10 days when the spring game takes place. It's like okay, was that just an, an instance where the defense was without a lot of guys and playing its first scrimmage with fans and got a little hyped up and missed some plays or, or is the offense really better? And I kind of lean towards the fact that it's probably the second. I mean, I, I think you, I mean, across the board, like on offense, they should be as good, if not better everywhere, you yeah. know, I mean, running back, they're short on, on players, but it's all the same guys. And, and we can talk about some of the other positives we saw other than Verdell. I'm um, in practice in a second here. Receiver, my gosh, <laughs> they have a ton. Of it's talent. it's that that position. I, I mean, that, that could be the deepest slash most talented receiving core Oregon's literally ever had, or that I can think of. And I know there's there's some teams that had some really good wide receiver talent. You know, late '90s, early 2000s. There have been some good receivers who've come through, but like the, just the accumulation of you've got some veterans, you've got some guys who've. You know, the Devin Williams, Michael Pittmans, who are the upper up and comers. And then you've got some freshmen that are just really impressive. I mean, so that part. And then you look at tight end. I mean, like, and the offensive line, yeah, like you said earlier, is really impressive. I think the one spot that I get a little concerned about, and I think we should probably spend some time talking about it because fans want to know, is the quarterback spot. And I don't want to say I thought they were bad because I don't think that was the case. And anytime the offense is quote unquote wins the scrimmage, that's an indication the quarterback play was at least good to, to better than good. Um, and I think that's fair, but I, I kind of came away thinking Anthony Brown looked really good at times, but then there were other times where he was just, he missed a couple of throws that were, that should have been there. Yeah. Um, and so 
it's, I still think that, and you know what we can talk about the younger guys, but I still look at that group and think, obviously that's the most important position on offense, probably on the entire team um, is quarterback. And I think I still came away not feeling like, boy, they've got, you know, like all conference player of the year. Like I said earlier, like they don't have their best player on offense is not going to be their quarterback. And it's a matter of how much can the rest of the players kind of pick that position up. And I don't want to say they're going to get bad quarterback play all season, but my guess is they're going to have to overcome some not perfect quarterback play throughout the season, whether that be with Anthony Brown, who's uh, a veteran who, but still makes mistakes here and there, or it be one of the younger guys who's obviously going to be um, extremely prone to, you know, making mistakes because he's never done it before. I I felt like Brown was probably the guy that, that makes the most sense to be your starting quarterback as of April 17th, 2021. And like, I don't want to try and make too much swooping claims. And as I just did (laughs) practice. Yeah. 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 But from that practice, I felt like, I walked away feeling Brown was probably going to be the starting quarterback, but I was really intrigued with Jay Butterfield. Um, I thought the best throw of the day went to Ty Thompson. Um, I, I thought Robbie Ashford and, and the limited amount of reps that he got looked solid and interesting. And there, there's certainly a canvas there to work with. Um, we should know Ab, uh, Ashford did not participate in much of the scrimmage because Christopher said afterwards that he turned an ankle during one of the drills and they just didn't feel like it was worth pushing him through that, which makes a lot of sense. Um, also interesting of note is that um, he stayed in town to check out or to, to, to participate in the scrimmage opposed to going to uh, down to Los Angeles and taking part in the base in a huge baseball series against the Trojans. So I think that kind of tells you real quick, just maybe where his um, mindset is Yeah, from a baseball football perspective. But I remember looking at, at, at that practice and a lot of my intrigue comes from what Jay Butterfield did and the potential Jay Butterfield has. I mean, I, I've been beating this drum for almost a year now that Ty Thompson's going to be really good. He might be the starting quarterback in the future for the Ducks, but Jay Butterfield is going to make Ty Thompson and Robbie Ashford have to literally play at their best level to get the job. Because I think Jay's, I think. Right now, I think Jay is your number two. I I, yeah, I think I mean it was pretty clear in terms of the way the reps were, you know, throughout practice that that he was getting second team reps. I think right right now, it's Anthony Brown, Jay Butterfield, Ty Thompson, Robbie Ashford, and I can't really speak exactly to who the third quarterback is, just because Ashford is was not available to to take part in all that stuff, and um, and so it's not really clear exactly where he's at because it just wasn't available for so much on, on Saturday, but like, yeah, it, it felt like that was sort of the way things were going. And I think a couple of things on Butterfield, when he came out of high school, he was a, I mean, a twig. I mean, he was really, really, really skinny and, and, you know, did, did certainly did not have the, the you know, the, the, the right muscle mass and, and just total body mass to really take a hit and play the position, I think at a high level. Um, 
he looks completely different this spring. Um, there's a couple of photos that we've got courtesy of the university of Oregon of him. And you could even tell from being in attendance that like, it's not, he's not fully filled out. He's certainly got some work to do, but I looked at him and thought like, he now kind of physically looks like freshman year, Justin Herbert in terms of the build. And you might say, well, freshman year, Justin Herbert was a long ways from, you know, senior Justin Herbert. And that's true. But Butterfield was <laughs> really, really skinny coming out of high school. So, I mean, he, he, he's gained some weight to even get to where Herbert was when Herbert first got to Eugene. So I think that part was impressive. And then, yeah, the arm strength. Like, I don't – we watched not, not enough to really totally know. But, like, I don't think it's ridiculous to suggest that, like, maybe he has just the strongest arm of any of the quarterbacks right now. Um, you know, his ability to just pump the ball down the field was impressive. He can – certainly put some zip on it. We saw Ty Thompson do the same thing. So I'm not detracting from him at all in saying that, but I, I, I didn't come away thinking, you know, I think some people come into spring and was kind of like, this is going to be a Ty Thompson, Anthony Brown quarterback competition. Like what Matt suggests, you know, Jay Butterfield is kind of the afterthought. And I think certainly at this point in town or in time uh, it's, you can't write off Jay Butterfield. In fact, I think he probably has a step up on, on Ty Thompson right now, which is not also, a total knock on Ty either just because Ty's been here a lot less. Jay was here for last spring, even though he only had four practices with the team all last year. Makes sense. He'd be a little further ahead, but um, I think, I don't know if either of them are going to be good enough to win a ton of games in 2021, but there is certainly, you can just see the, the potential from those guys that one of those two players is going to be really, really good. And whether that be in 21 or 22, um, when they're starting games, that player is going to be very, very capable. Um, it's just very hard at this point to see who that'll be. I, I did come away thinking, and again, we'll see again in the spring game, that, that Butterfield really has a shot to be a talented quarterback and that it's going to take a lot from Ty Thompson, whether, again, whether it be this year or next year, I think to, to fully solidify himself a, a ahead of someone as good as Butterfield. I don't think you can overlook him. I think one of the the biggest surprises of the entire open practice scrimmage was the play of cross pattern. Yeah. The walk on red shirt freshman running back um, who, you know, fair or not is mostly known because he's the son of the rapper, big boy from outcast. And you know, he played in two games for Oregon in 2020. He signed with the Ducks as a walk-on as part of the 2019 recruiting class, redshirted, was a, a 4A all-region, all-honorable mention selection as a senior coming out of high school in the state of Georgia. Um, I believe as a senior, um, he ran for almost 1,000 yards, was a, was a guy that, had some FCS scholarship offers and chose to walk on at Oregon. And I'll be honest, like fair or not. Like I kind of was like, like if he didn't have the celebrity dad, like would he, you know, the connection to Oregon was weird. And you wondered like, sure. did, was this a guy that they really wanted to, to have on the roster? And ever since he showed up in 2019, everyone's raved about him. Everyone has talked about how good cross Patton is. And he's only five, six and like 180 pounds. And on Saturday in the spring scrimmage cross Patton 
didn't look just like a really good walk-on. Like he looked like a capable scholarship dude who could help Oregon if need be. I mean, he looked, he was probably the most impressive guy out of the, out of the entire spring scrimmage of just overall impressions in my mind. Yeah. And no, I think cross really showed well and he got a huge opportunity. Um, you know, it was one of the things that, I mean, it wasn't just on Saturday that he's played well either. I mean, you said it earlier, but Jim Astra, I think said he's probably had the best spring of any of the running backs. Yep. Um, you know, and it's because he's given him more of an opportunity. We talked a lot, you know, on this podcast in the past about Sean Dollars, Trey Benson being out, you know, Byron Cardwell, seven McGee, two true freshmen yet to enroll. This has provided an opportunity for, for cross Patton to really get some snaps in practice to get some reps. And they're going to be very careful with CJ Verdell because of his health history. And I think they're going to do something very similar with Travis died just because they understand how valuable he is. Yeah. Um, and so you saw really probably after the first two or three drives at the scrimmage, it was cross Patton and Aaron Smith, Aaron Smith's another walk on who I thought looked fine. I mean, not, he's not as good as Patton certainly, but had some moments and, yeah, Patton, I mean, he, he bounced off tackles and had some nice catches and I thought played overall just really, really well. And I will be curious to see, you know, when we get into fall, like, and, and we shall. Sean I, Dollars I, is still hurt. He won't be available early part of the season. No, he's not. And and, and what I was just going to say is I will, I bet you the spring game, here's my guess, Cross Patton has more touches in the spring game than any player on Oregon's team <laughs> because <laughs> typically, because CJ Verdell is going to get like three touches in the spring game and Travis Dial probably get, 10 and then it'll be cross Patton and Aaron Smith for the last hour of the scrimmage of the spring game, just because they don't want to run. They don't want to risk one of those scholarship guys getting hurt. Um, so, but like, yeah, no, I think he was certainly a player that stands out and you come away being really impressed with um, a couple other names. I, I mean, like Matt mentioned him earlier, just a guy who hasn't been with the first team defense typically, but Trico's bridges boy, I, I, he had some moments out there breaking up passes, making some tackles, the line of scrimmage running with the first team. And if you're running with the first team, that means you're facing first team wide receivers and Oregon's first team wide receivers are really, really good. Oregon's second and third team receivers are really, really good. So his ability to play and play at a, a pretty high level, um, impressive stuff. I think I thought, I thought he elevated my perception of himself more than almost anybody else um, on the team. I thought the tight ends, especially Maliki Matavajo, the size he has and the athleticism, that's going to be a guy who could play right away. Um, yeah. We'll yeah. see what his, that his size was different than what you typically see from a true freshman tight end. I mean, I look at him and think that that guy could be an absolute stud in some point in his career. I don't know if he's going to be the most talented or the most played tight end in 2021. Probably not. That'll probably be Spencer Webb or, or DJ Johnson, but like down the line, that's a guy who can make some plays. Um, both Dante Thornton and Troy Franklin were impressive as well, I think, you know, and, and I, I don't think you can discount one or both of those guys being pretty significant contributors. Um, I mean, receivers as a whole are just, there's a lot of guys. Uh, I mean, just a ton of players that are, that are going to be called upon. Jalen Red was not available, um, but I didn't think there was a dip at all at receiver, you know, and, and I think defensively, I mentioned Triquez, um, Steve Stevens made a couple of nice plays, get an interception. Um, that was good to see. I think he's right in the mix there. Um, you know, and I think there are certainly some of those linebackers, Justin Flo, we should note, not fully participating, but, um, you know, there were some, some younger players in the front seven who also made some nice plays too. But like, I, I just think you came away. I did at least feeling there's a chance that this team, like basically position by position could be better than it was 
last season. Like, yeah. I don't know if there's a group that I feel should be worse. You know, you can maybe argue corner because um, it's going to be hard to be improve on what Diamandro Lenore was. But like, I also think I expect Mikhail Wright to, to, be, to be better. I, I look at Mikhail and think he's a first or second round draft pick. Yeah. And the guys next to him, whoever that is, again, it's hard to tell because a couple a couple of players were out for portions of practice. Um, like it, that, that's the question is like to get enough quality play. But like Triquez looked up to the up to snuff. Uh, DJ James kind of filled in as the number one corner for parts of practice when um, when Mikhail wasn't available, and I thought he played fine. Dante didn't take part, um, but like yeah, no, I think overall you feel pretty good there. Like I just think across the board. I came away feeling really, really good. I and mean, I think maybe the one group that I was a little slightly quote unquote disappointed, but it'd been like the defensive line group, just because we had really high expectations for them. Um, and the offensive line probably won a couple more battles, but it was also a spring game or scrimmage situation where you could not like to sack the quarterback. That was not an element. So you kind of lose out on the pass rush part of it. And, and in the run game, um, like it wasn't like they got completely dominated. There were certainly plays where, where the defensive front, had some success, but I thought that was an area where I was kind of expecting to feel a little bit more significant progress than, than what I saw, but that could obviously all change, you know, in about 10 days of the spring game. And we could come out of this talking and thinking completely different about, about that group too. I, I think someone for me that really stood out and it's not really like shocker, you picked a star player, but I, I really thought Noah Sewell, um, was a guy that that made some plays at linebacker, and I mean, you asked a great question. Um, I, I think it was with Ken Wilson, um, but the the progression from Noah Sewell in twenty twenty one is fair or not is what we're expecting out of him from what we saw from Kayvon Thibodeau in twenty twenty, elevating yourself from the best freshman on defense in the Pac twelve to now becoming one of the country's best positional players, regardless of class. And that's what Noah Sewell's, you know, path is, right? Like, and I, and I think like you saw him going down those steps, taking that path to becoming one of the most feared defensive player, you know, one of the most feared linebackers in college football. He, he looks the part. Oh yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I think physically, gosh, they have some, I'm talking about the depth at wide receiver, um, the depth at linebacker is probably the maybe the only other position group that I would be like it's somewhat comparable because you just look at it and it's like boy they've got some guys out there especially when K you know Kayvon Thibodeau standing as an outside linebacker and you know the, like that's just scary some of the athletes they've got at linebacker um, and when Justin Flo kind of re-enters the mix there that's going to add any, another element to it They're, I mean, they, they, they just have a bunch of big athletic, fast guys. And yeah. I think, I think at multiple spots, not just linebacker. Yeah, totally. No, I mean the, 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 just the overall size and athleticism of this defense is really impressive. And again, I think that's why in part, I was like kind of confused coming away from it being like, yeah, the offense actually had its moments there, which I wasn't expecting with so many young quarterbacks and with, um, you know, some kind of notable guys maybe not taking part. And with the issues they had at running back, I was kind of thinking, oh, this is probably going to be the defense looking much better. But it, it, I, I I agree with Cristobal in terms of I thought the, the offense had had more moments that were, were impressive overall during the course of the, the entire day and um, and certainly in, like, the team periods. So, like, I, I, I'm really excited to check out the spring game and just see kind of what the balance looks like there and, and, and to get a better feel for the quarterback stuff. Like, I 
you're just kind of wrapping a bow in the quarterback thing. My, my guess is we see Anthony Brown get first team snaps throughout the rest of spring and into fall. And, and I, and I would probably be surprised just based upon, I mean, we're halfway through spring. We've asked the questions. We've now watched a practice, you know, it, it all kind of indicates that Anthony Brown is, is kind of positioning himself for that job. Um, every single rep, every, every rep. single QB one rep has gone to Anthony Brown. In I, spring. Every you know, and, and if it's, going to be that way throughout the entirety of spring. It just doesn't seem like you do that. If you really felt like there was a legitimate opportunity for one of the younger guys to be the dude. So, yeah. I mean, that could change. That could very well change. And, and maybe we'll get into, you know, I mean, Cristobal did say before the spring game and their spring scrimmage. And then afterwards that specifically at quarterback, this was a moment where, it's been a heated competition for the number two spot, but from an overall landscape point of view, this was a moment in which some separation could potentially happen. And, and maybe it's a case where two quarterbacks emerge, Anthony Brown being one, maybe another one pulls up and then it turns into, okay, now we have a clear idea of who's one, who's two. Now you guys get the opportunity to duke it out. Maybe that's how it plays out. I, I don't know. Or, you know, or like what you said, it, it says strictly with Anthony Brown the entire way. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't get a feel watching practice and just like, it wasn't like one of the younger guys was just significantly looked significantly better either. I mean, like, do they have maybe a, a more impressive throw here or there? Probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't want to take away from, what Anthony Brown did do because I thought he had some good moments, but like maybe that's the case. But like I, I just thought from a consistency perspective, it was pretty clear who the top guy was, and especially when you're running with the first team offense and, and you have the first team defense now against you. I mean, those are things that the I mean the the, the backup guys were were running against the first team, or sorry, the second team defense, which is a, certainly a step down. I mean, it's still a lot of talent, but not quite the same level. And, and with some of the in- issues they had at a couple positions from a health perspective, you know, they were getting down to probably closer to third and maybe fourth team guys at a couple spots. Um, so like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, you know, again, and we're going to overreact to this because this is the only time we've been able to watch practice in like a full year. So like, I think we're, we're, we're going to allow ourselves to do that here, but I, I did, I just came away feeling like I, I feel probably more confident now than I had going in that just Anthony Brown is, is, is most likely going to be their, their starting quarterback when you get, to September against Fresno state and things are probably subject to change from there. But I, I didn't watch it and come away being like, Oh wow. Like this is really going to be one of the young guys job, isn't it? And I, I certainly no. came away kind of feeling the same way as I felt going in. I agree. I agree. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of positive developments and I guess hopefully knock on wood, there are no negative developments between now and the spring game, but I, I, I'm going to venture to guess that, that's probably our next opportunity, May 1st, to really take in um, this Oregon football program during spring ball, get a feel for who they are and what they're turning into. Um, real quick, to wrap up the show, I just want to point out the significance of having a true traditional offseason, going through a fourth quarter program. They're going to go through it. Uh, another strong, intense off-season training program again after spring ball is over to continue transforming the bodies. But I cannot understate the importance of that any more than 
than what we saw on Saturday from position to position guy, you know, senior to freshman, Oregon just looked different than when they showed up for their first game um, during the 2020 season against Stanford. Like there are some noticeable differences at every position of guys doing work in the weight room, getting faster, getting stronger, getting quicker, getting more agile. And I, I can't say enough of that is a huge development that during the 2020 season, Oregon did not have. Yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, it's, I'm sure it, it's not just limited to the weight room, but that's just the most obvious to us when we're watching practice, but you're right. Like, I think, I think that part got overlooked and certainly wasn't overlooked by media and, 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 and the team in terms of talking about and mentioning the fact that they, that's just something they were missing. And it was pretty clear at times that that would cause some problems last season, but you're right. Physically, some of these guys, I think, especially some of the, the heavier set offensive and defensive linemen, they just look different physically. Um, and the upside of some of these, of these guys is tremendous because of it. And, you know, even, even some of the guys we've seen a lot the last couple of years, like I, I mean, like even like a Noah Sewell, like physically, he just looked a little bit different, a yeah. little bit more polished, a little bit more athletic. I thought the same thing with like a Mace Funa. Um, those are two guys who, despite being in the program for a little bit here, just haven't had a ton of opportunity to to take part in a full off season. You know, um, you know, it, it hits obviously the true freshman, but it hits the second year players a little bit too, because a lot of those guys like a Mace Funa didn't come for spring in 2019. Um, his spring in 2020 gets interrupted after four practices and all of his 2020 summer off season is kind of messed up too. And so, you know, even a second year guy like that, um, you know, like I kind of hadn't put it together, but Mason said that I think last week of like, this is actually his first full spring practice. He's never played in a spring game. Um, you know, those are the kind of things I overlook too. So it's not just some of these, these younger true freshmen or should say second year fresh, you know, second year freshmen, but, it's the third year guys going into their third year too, that in some cases are, you know, have not had a full spring and a full off season and a full time to get kind of acclimated from that perspective. So um, everybody has kind of missed out on that. And, and I think you did see some of that play play out. I mean, you certainly from a physical perspective, just from the eyeball test, I, I came away being like, there's some really impressive looking dudes on this team. And it's going to be fun to see how the rest of the spring and, and summer and then into the fall you know, how the bodies change and, and just kind of what this team looks like, you know, when they strap it up for the first game in September. I thought Oregon's receivers were offensively from that perspective, the guys that looked different. Um, and part of that is simply because, you know, Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton are on the roster and you pair them with Devin Williams. And now all of a sudden you've got three guys that are like six, four, six, six, five, six, three, and just look, towering you know compared to what we've traditionally seen at the position but you know Johnny Johnson is still yoked um you know I thought Josh Delgado and Chris Hudson were really impressive Micah Pittman was a guy that's just you know still one of the the best receivers on this team um and it's kind of like a Verdell just keep him healthy and get him if he stays on the field he's going to make plays but I thought the receiver position was was another one where it was just like, wow, this just looks different from what we've seen the last couple of seasons. And quite honestly, at receiver for the last five or six years, um, they just look different. And I think that was a positive 
indication there as well. So we're going to have a ton more coverage on DuckTerritory.com of the, the practice insights, what we've learned, uh, also getting you ready for the, another week of spring football. Uh, that culminates May 1st with Oregon's spring game. They're now halfway through spring ball. I think they've got seven more practices to go, three this week, four next week, and then they should be done. Um, and recruiting is in full gear. Basketball for both teams, uh, they are in their off-season modes. They're getting ready for recruiting period. All programs are getting re- ready for a June 1st recruiting period where it goes back to kind of normalcy, if you will. So there's going to be a ton happening next couple of weeks into months on duckterritory.com. And I highly encourage you guys to check out duckterritory.com for more information on all things Oregon Ducks. And until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks.